Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. got into hunting you know i did what probably most people did i watched a lot of shows on youtube or at that time i had a a satellite on my house which i think there's probably like six people left in the world that have satellites and haven't just gone to all uh, streaming services Um, but those people are probably living out in the middle of nowhere like i do Uh, but i thankfully i was just telling uh, uh the guests on today's show arthur and carolyn about um, how I live out in the country and I have to use uh, Starlink internet, which has been pretty good, but it's been good enough to stream. Sometimes we have a little, a few technical glitches on the podcast that we have to iron out, but uh, for the most part, it's been pretty good. But anyways, back when I'd be watching those shows, I'd always see these guys that have been hunting their whole life. And of course, you know, being a first gen hunter, it was all new to me. And I'd hear them talking about all the time. Oh yeah, that's a that's a three and a half year old buck. I'm going to, I'm going to pass on him or that's a, that's a two and a half year old. He, he should be nice. And then, you know, two to three years. And it just, I heard it over and over and over again. And the first thought that came into my mind was how on earth do you know that man? How do you know how old that animal is? And the second thing was, why does it matter? You know, if it's, if it's got, I mean, I, I understood like, okay, you want to, you know, most people want a deer with big antlers or an elk with big antlers, right? I understood that. And I understood, obviously, things get bigger as they get older. But um, to be so specific about the age, I really I really didn't uh, get it at first. But then after being educated on it and starting to hunt myself and, and hearing more explanations about it, I, start to, I started to understand it a little bit better. And in fact, um, if you're tuning into this, you've probably, or have been tuning into this podcast for a long time, you've probably heard me reference the Mississippi State University Deer Lab and uh, just an excellent deer research uh, organization and resource for hunters and property managers and everyone else that's interested in deer. They actually created an app where you could, um, it would help you age bucks on the hoof you know so if you're sitting in your tree stand you see a nice size buck walk out and you really are wanting to you know only shoot deer of a certain age class you it would help you like look at external features on that deer and be like okay i think it's probably this old but then i don't know maybe two or three years after that i started seeing some people post some stuff about this place out in montana known as matson's lab and they were they were getting like down to the exact science of figuring out how old these animals were by looking at their teeth. And uh, so you may have heard about them too, or a similar process. Um, uh, Carolyn, Arthur, what's the exact process name again? Is it cementum aging? Cementum aging or cementum age analysis. Okay. Cementum age analysis. I like that. And, uh, you're just looking at teeth, right. To, to figure that out. All day, every day. Yes. <laughs> so the, the basic, uh, sort of premise of what we do is that animals, mammals specifically are depositing a layer of what's known as cementum on the roof of their tooth 
each year. Uh, and it's actually something they're depositing throughout the year, but it's rapid deposition and slow deposition depending on what time of the year it is. Well, this results in these incremental growth layers that we can look at under a microscope to determine how many years an animal is, or at least that tooth, has been growing. And keeping in mind that the teeth erupt at different times, so we need to know which tooth we're looking at from which species. But as long as we know the tooth and the species, and we can look at those growth layers, we can assign an accurate age, usually. Yeah, that is that is fascinating. You know, I I often wonder when I hear stuff like that. That is, it, it just is such a creative way to come up with an aging solution. Like who was the first person to really notice that correlation, you know, and, and be like, Hey, this could be an accurate way to, you know, kind of almost like <clears throat> growth rings for a tree. You know, it's, uh, it's like, who makes that correlation? But then when you start to hear the explanation behind it, it's like, Oh yeah, that does make a lot of sense. But, uh, how on earth did you guys get into that? I mean, that's a, that is a very specific job that like probably 10 people in uh, all of the United States have as a, as a career. And, uh, man, that's got to take some patience and, uh, some steady hands and, uh, good eyes. <laughs> I imagine. How did, how did you guys get into doing cementum aging? So, uh, Gary Matson founded the lab in the sixties. And I think he started, uh, doing some work, in, in the 60s, as part of his graduate studies, it's kind of an offshoot. He had some buddies that were doing some elk studies. Uh, I believe they were also graduate students. And they had heard about this idea. Gary was doing some colon microscopy, looking at, at some other things, like weird tissues. But uh, he started looking into it and developed a pretty darn good methodology. In fact, the methodologies that Gary developed uh, in this probably the period from the 60s to the 80s uh, is what's still widely used for the very few people that do this type of work. And you're right, it is, it is sort of niche, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's a very specific skill set that not many people have. But the ones that do are using Gary's methodologies. And so uh, I first learned about Matson's lab. Of course, I went to school, graduate school in Montana also. So everybody sort of just knows you send your teeth sure. to and uh i was able to kind of get involved with the lab and eventually purchase the lab and aj came on board not too long thereafter so part of it is this pure happenstance is just living in montana just in a geographic location where i i personally knew some of the people that were bringing teeth to this guy and then getting to meet him but it's it's really kind of a cool little side note to wildlife management history oh, yeah. and, and the whole timeline and the way that these things have been developed. We're really, really proud to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whenever I hear there's like these little, uh, you know, partitions of the, I guess you could say the outdoor economy. I always think to myself, man, if I was, a, when I was a kid, if I had known that that job had existed, I'd been all over it. You know, I would have, I would have loved researching it. I would have, I would have definitely uh, chosen a different place to visit for career day in uh, 11th grade. Um, I don't know if they would have uh, provided me a transportation all the way out to Montana from, uh, from uh, the Iowa area, but, but uh, no, it's uh, such a, such a cool job. And um, 
you know, I've, I've been fortunate, you know, eventually I ended up in my own little corner of the, of the outdoor industry. Uh, I, and I love what I do. I get to combine two of my passions, agriculture and conservation. I, I grow, uh, prairie grasses and flowers for a job, but, um, uh, so it's, it's neat to see other people find their, their dream job, I guess you could say, and, um, do something that is, you know, not even, people don't even think of doing, but, but really an important thing. And, uh, AJ, how did you end up working your way into this direction? It was kind of a similar story. You just always knew about Matson's or did you kind of find uh, out about it later? Yeah, no, I found out about it later. So, I mean, as Carolyn just kind of ended there, I would say it just kind of happenstance. So I'm originally from Ohio. So, um, ironically out here, uh, people get Ohio and Iowa confused because <laughs> it's all part of the Midwest and it kind of yeah. sounds similar, I guess I've come to learn. Yeah. Um, but I came out to Montana when I was in college and just fell in love with the state and knew that I wanted to live out here. And I also grew up hunting uh, white hills and Turkey in Ohio. So I oh, had yeah. a vested interest in hunting and outdoors. And, you know, that's part of the intrigue of, of Montana, of course, as we're all aware, but, uh, but ultimately, this was the place and I became aware of it when I was looking for jobs. And then between the time that I found out about this and the time that I got the job, I never actually harvested a deer, but, um, like you, you know, I was interested in aging just from a curiosity standpoint, from being a, a hunter with kind of a science background, my background's, um, my degrees in biology, but, uh, but yeah, ultimately, um, started corresponding with Carolyn and she took a chance on me and it's worked out great ever since. That's awesome. And, uh, Good on you, Carolyn, for giving him a chance. I think that is one of the coolest things that people will do for uh, others who may not totally fit the expert mold when they come to apply. And they're like, you know what? I see some potential in this person. I'm going to give him a chance. So that's that's awesome. I, I love it when uh, I hear stories like that. And yeah, Ohio, that's, uh, that's not too far from where I'm at. I actually have a, a sister-in-law who lives uh, in Columbus with her husband and, and they have a daughter there and I always enjoy going there. It's a nice state. Also a big buck state too. Yeah. We're probably just like 500 cornfields apart. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. But uh, no, so let's uh, kind of get into why is aging these animals important? We'll go to my other question that I had when I first started hearing about people talking about the age of, of wildlife. Why is it important to know that information? So that answer is probably a little bit different for everyone that asks the question. From a biology perspective, managers are interested in age as they manage their populations, but of course that varies due to individual agency and what their hunting objectives are. Some are, are trying to provide an older buck, for instance, for their hunters, and so they're keeping very close track of those ages. Some want to provide hunting opportunities. Some are trying to grow their populations. Uh, you know, we just had a zoom meeting i think two weeks ago with pennsylvania biologist and it was really interesting to me that he was most concerned in making sure that his deer or elk pardon me elk didn't get too old because they had a lot of old females in the population and those females aren't contributing you know back to the next generation mm -hmm. so usually we hear about managers that want to increase the age of their harvest well he wanted to increase the age of his harvest um, so from an agency or a management perspective, we're kind of looking at the population 
as a whole. Now, from a hunter perspective, is interested in his or her individual harvest. And so that's quite a bit different. And, and sometimes it's just sheer curiosity. I mean, we're humans. None of us have gotten this far if we weren't curious as a species. But uh, it's it's a little bit different if you're managing for your your very own small farm or statewide deer management, for instance. There's just different management objectives. But aid is, is very important regardless of the goal. Yeah, uh, that's that's an excellent explanation there for uh, multiple multiple reasons for that. Do you ever have like um, like uh, game agencies or I don't know, maybe a, a a zoo even that will send you guys specimens just because they they want to know for their data keeping purposes? Um. Can you be a little more specific? <laughs> well, like so, so like if they had, let's say, like. Um, I don't know, maybe, so around here in Iowa, almost every year we end up with a county, and I imagine, AJ, this is probably similar in Ohio. Every summer when we get into like the driest months, we'll have a few counties that are especially dry, and uh, we end up with big EHD kills. And uh, Mm -hmm. so maybe like if there was an event like that, or uh, maybe... uh, uh, like I like the example for the zoo. I, I I don't know. Maybe they had a animal that they ended up with that they didn't quite understand the full background on, and uh, um, w- maybe they wanted to know more information about its age or something like that. Do you guys ever get people wanting cementum aging for you know data keeping purposes outside of hunting or like herd management? Oh yes. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if that's what you were asking, oh, but yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, so we certainly do. And there have been a number of, you know, research projects. Uh, disease is a big one. A lot of CWD stuff going on right now. Mm. And there are an awful lot of researchers who are, um, you know, live trapping these animals. Believe it or not, they're pulling a tooth. So they can they can tell the age of the animal when they're taking other vital samples from the animal, and then they're correlating age with some of those health oh, okay. metrics that they're looking at. So they're not all hunter harvest. And the bulk of what we do is a hunter harvest for sure. But we also work with you know universities and federal agencies that are looking at endangered species and very specific sort of management projects, like like you're talking about. And again, age is an important metric that they're using to, you know, plug into their models with four or five other qualities that they're looking at. And uh, it's really cool that we're able to be a part of that. Yeah. And I little lab in, in Montana and have an impact in research that's happening all around the world, actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to, and to, to be, just oh, to yeah. further elaborate on that, like sometimes there'll be, um, I, I hate to use the term term problem, but I guess that's what I'll use, but like sure. a problem bear. And so there was a tragic event recently in um, Alaska with a polar bear that mauled. And so they sent us the tooth just to find out how old the, the polar bear was that was involved with the mauling or similar situations happen with um, black bears and grizzly bears as well. And then isn't it Iowa where we get the mountain lion mountain tooth? Lions. We get like one mountain lion tooth from Iowa every year. And same thing, Carol and I are always joking. It's, you know, the, the one mountain lion that made it that far. And then, uh, I know um, it. 
they just need to let those things go. I mean, they're from <laughs> here. They're from here originally, and uh, you know, you guys all do fine living with them all around you there. Um, every once in a while, you hear about you know probably a an attack story or something like that. But I don't know. We get those teeth too. That that sorry, say that again. <laughs> we get those teeth too. When you, you get, get them. Yeah. You, yeah. We, it's 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 not funny and it's okay. I right. shouldn't think like it, but it is of interest. Oh yeah. Those things happen that the samples are sent to us and we can determine the age of the animal that was involved. Well, and it tells so much with so much more of the story, you know, the backstory on it. Um, do you guys remember well maybe you got the teeth off this one too. Uh I don't know, it must have been like three or four years ago there was a guy who was like a trail runner up in Washington State. And uh, he got attacked. They killed the animal with his own bare hands. Yes, yes. Yes. Did you guys get the teeth off of that? Are you allowed to say? I don't. We so I I'm, I I don't know if we're allowed to say, but I think I will say that we did not because it was obviously a juvenile. Is that correct? AJ? Okay. Yep. Right that's one? what I was gonna. <laughs> Yeah, I think you are remembering correctly. And sometimes we'll get teeth from those circumstances and we don't know. So if it gets submitted with like the state's, you know, mountain lion harvest, um, we're not going to know which tooth that was or even if they submitted it, if they just, unless they put on it, you know, uh, label it some way that we would know. But a lot of times they'll just, they have their own unique identifiers and it's just a series. Yeah. So sometimes it is just so obvious, like in the case of that, that obvious juvenile lion up in Washington state that attacked that runner that people are like, yeah, we just know based on the body size of this thing, it's, it's so young. We're not going to, they don't want necessarily that super specific, like, yeah, it was a one-year-old versus it was a two-year-old type of thing. That makes sense. Yeah. I can't, again, I can't speak for that state agency, but to my, to my knowledge, we didn't get that specific tooth, but I remember a lot, like AJ said, we, we get hundreds of, mountain lion teeth from that state and that certainly could have been one of them that we didn't know about sure sure so another high profile one i remember hearing about i'm pretty sure this one was from montana and the first attack uh that so there was like two incidents with this bear the first one was just like a wrong place wrong time one where it was like a uh, state agency employee was going around getting uh fur samples off of uh grizzlies uh, which I know that sounds like insane. You know, <laughs> when I first heard that, I was like, how exactly does this happen? You know, they give you a government issued pair of tweezers or something, right. and so a, a bottle of sleeping pills. Uh, the, but you know, they use like sticky traps on trees and stuff. And, uh, this, uh, uh, lady was working for, I think it was Montana fish, wildlife and parks. And, um, she just kind of accidentally ran into one. She got attacked and thankfully she survived and everything and was able to, to be rescued. Um, but then that same grizzly, like, I don't know, maybe a year later invaded somebody's garage and like tore the place up and they, they had to kill it because it was, you know, it had two, like two strikes against it or something like that, I guess. And, um, I think when they aged that bear, uh, they said it was like 20 years old. Do you guys remember the one that I'm talking about? I actually do. Generally speaking, I don't recall the exact age, but Carolyn and I actually met that individual. Um, really? She was, I believe. Yeah. So she was, and we didn't actually even know. I mean, I mean, we had aged the bear and we didn't really know what bear it was. Um, again, so that was just, it was submitted with the, she was working for the U S fish and wildlife service. Oh, okay. I believe, okay. And, 
and they were studying bears up in the um yeah the cabinet yak area i believe and it was a, like you said it was a hair snare trap but anyways yeah, she was at the uh, there's a uh, human bear conflict conference that we went to um this past fall and so she was down there and she had a little poster presentation and she gave a little talk about her encounter and she still is into bear research and stuff so it's um that's awesome to her dedication to it and she you know acknowledged that it was wrong place wrong time type of thing but yeah it was neat from the perspective that we got to see the age of the bear um but yeah i am aware of that yeah that and is i don't know so about the cool. second attack i i thought that it only had attacked her but i don't the, yeah, the stories kind of overlap out here because yeah. they're in the news semi frequently, and then as you're here, and then the years kind of run together. So um, I could be miss or not remembering the second attack. Sure, sure. Yeah, that is that's so interesting though that that you guys were able to to work with that that bear at one point, and I'm sure we could probably keep going through stories after story. Uh, on these and it's become very clear you know it echoes with what carolyn was saying earlier everybody out there just knows got to send them to matson so uh, it's it's fascinating to me that you guys get to be a part of research in that way and uh i mean it just makes what you do even cooler uh so that's that's uh that's really really awesome um just another application that uh i mean we have never actually been called to court but another application that i don't think a lot of people would um think of necessarily right off the bat but a lot of times there'll be a question in age and that'll determine whether or not it was a legal harvest typically it's been oh, or generally speaking it's been with brown bears uh, either in alaska or sometimes some of the european nations that we do work for and so they want to know how old the bear was so that they can have evidence um that the hunter harvested the premature bear you know mm. if there's a regulation where it has to be at least two years or older or whatnot and so we've always provided ages and photos and then that's been all that we've ever had to do um but we are you know in those situations we're always cognizant of the fact that there is a very very slight potential or at least it's how gary communicated it to carolyn and um, myself that we could potentially be called in to testify for the, the age of the animal yeah that is that is so cool that you guys get to be involved all the way through like that and you know it's a good that's an important part of conservation too that you guys are serving in there you know that helps that helps no pun intended here uh, i'm not it's such a terrible pun i was gonna say it helps put teeth to the law but but uh it, it uh li- <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> i'm a dad i'm a dad okay I can, I'm, a, I'm allowed to tell dad jokes um a solid a- joke <laughs> But it, it helps it helps no you know like really enforce an important law because those game management laws exist for a purpose to make the the population of those species as healthy as possible. So I think it's I think it's awesome that you guys get to help out in that way too. Now, as you mentioned, a lot of your should we say clients are hunters. Is that the majority of your clients? Uh, no, so. We might have more individual hunters as customers, but we definitely get the bulk of our samples are from a. Oh wow, that's that's really interesting. That's totally different than what I expected. That's that's cool. So I would assume most things that are going to be sent to you from hunters are going to be white-tailed deer. Is that correct? That is correct. Is that, do you think, just because whitetails are so heavily monitored and managed, 
you know, especially in the Midwest and I'd say even down south? I think it's probably partly that, but probably also it's the one species that you can hunt in almost every single mm. state. Yeah, that's I think Hawaii is probably the only state that doesn't have whitetail. Maybe I think Alaska has a very small small population, um, yeah. but everybody yeah, has access to hunting whitetails. Yeah. So you know, whereas your other big game species, elk and mule deer, they're relegated to the west, uh, and then those tags are a little bit harder to come by, especially for non-residents. So. Sure. Sure. No, that's a, that's a, that's a good point. So are those the other two main ones then elk and mule deer that people are sending in or do you get a lot of bear too? Yep. Elk and mule deer. We do get a few bear, uh, not nearly as many, uh, bear as we do the whitetail elk and mule deer. Okay. And, and so theoretically, I mean, we've talked about many different species now that you guys are able to do. I mean, is the number of species, as long as it's a mammal, is it pretty much you could send in whatever and you guys would be able to use the cementum aging process on it? Yep, that is that is correct. And every once in a while, we get an oddball species, maybe an exotic from Africa that we've hmm. not had before. But we can usually, you know, the histological process remains the same. We take a decalcified tissue native slice, put it on the slide, stain it, look at those growth layers. And even if we're not really uh, comfortable with that particular species, we can usually tell what it looks the most like. So for instance, some, some African antelope maybe has a characteristic very similar to our bighorn sheep, for instance. Mm. And then we kind of use that aging model to assign the age estimate. And we make sure the client knows that this is the species we have limited experience with. The estimate is just that, but it's probably the most scientifically based estimate that could be assigned to it. Now, once we get, you know, 10 or 15, or if we can get in the hundreds of the species, we can get really good at assigning ages. Oh, yeah. But if we get just one sample from a species with which we have limited experience, uh, we we do the best that we can. Sure. What's your absolute favorite thing that comes through the door? Ooh, we've had some weird oddball ones. Like we had the hippo. That was pretty cool. <laughs> that would be and so cool. The guy cool. brought in the hippo skull. And, wow. Uh, we aged a tooth from it. That was really cool. And then we get, you know, the little oddball things like, like bats. And those are teeny tiny teeth. Wow. But they're, from the other side of the world. So that's really cool. AJ does polar bears by the thousands. Wow. Um, and we get fur seals from the Antarctic. Like, so it's, you know, the bread and butter of what we do is probably North American big game mammals, as sure. you expect. But we see those every day. So it's the little, it's the oddball ones that are kind of, kind of cool for us to see. Yeah, AJ yeah. might have some favorite. Yeah, I think I mean Carolyn covered most of them, but the one that always comes to my mind, and this has been a few years ago, but it was uh, it was a pretty small sample, but it was goby brown bears, and so they were, I don't want to say just brown bears, but I mean they are brown bears, and they just happen to live in the Gobi Desert, and so uh, that was really cool. They're yeah. critically endangered, so uh, there was like less than thirty-five of them Whoa. that actually still exist today, and so. Um, we were able to work with, with that project. And then usually brown bears are pretty difficult to age, but for whatever reason, that specific sample is actually really, um, 
hesitant to use the term easy, but I guess I'll just say nice to age. And so we had really high confidence in the ages that we assigned, which uh, hopefully that biologist was definitely able to to use. So that was really cool. And it was neat to correspond with him because he had done uh, done work up in Alaska for many years with brown bears. And he actually worked with Gary early on in developing the brown bear aging model. And so there was some history there that, that I got to kind of learn from and um, be part of. Yeah, that is that is fascinating. I'm just like my brain. I, I I wish I could turn this into like a three hour podcast right now because I would ask you about like every species that comes into my mind because it's just so interesting. Uh, so I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll this will be my last one I ask you about. Um, what about like uh, marine mammals like whales or yep. porpoises? You know, th- do you ever get those? Yeah, so as Carol mentioned, we do age quite a few seals. Oh, yeah, yeah. And seals, yeah. that's probably the number one marine mammal um, species that we, we are aging. And that's generally for most of the uh, Canadian provinces that, that border the oceans. And mm-hmm. so their their state uh, and government agencies are sending, or not state, but provincial government agencies and uh, federal are sending them to, I think it's Environment Canada is, is the number one there. But uh, they're sending us seals, and we're able to age those. And then most recently, um, it would have been, I think, middle of 22, we aged a pretty large sample of beluga whale teeth. And that was actually quite different. Oh, that's awesome. So beluga whale teeth, they they have what's called homodont dentition. And so all the teeth are basically the same. So there's no incisors, canines, premolars, molars. They're just all the same type of tooth sure um and and i don't know if it's because of that or just because of the way they are they do have cementum and they do deposits cementum layers but uh, they had a in-house lab up there that had done quite a bit of work with aging beluga whales over the years and they were doing a quite different technique than what we do but what they had found through that technique was that the cementum really wasn't as reliable uh, assign the age estimates for so what they were doing was actually counting growth layers in the dentine mm. so that's really unique because we did that project and it came out and it worked out really well um and we we use the same process that we use for all of our teeth or like carol mentioned we decalcified the sections uh, or decalcified the teeth and then took sections and mounted them on slides and stained them and looked at them under the microscope and um stacy she She's a lab supervisor. She actually did most of the aging on those and corresponded with them. And, and it, it, it went well for the most part. But um, after we did that, I started kind of trying to look at the dentine for some of the other mammals that we ate, you know, deer, elk, and bears. And that's what Gary has said before, is that the dentine is not reliable. So it's just kind of one of those weird happenstances where it was kind of switched, where the beluga whales were showing these consistent growth layers in the dentine and then in the cementum they weren't and it it kind of has to do with where the cementum layers were on the the blue whale teeth but we ended up uh, the oldest one of those that we did and that was really cool too because we usually like our old old animals are going to be seals and we'd also do uh walruses and that's going to be like in your 30s and sometimes uh 40 but we aged a blue whale it was 63 and that ended up being a minimum age because once they get to a certain age, the uh, the dentine's actually wearing down, and so those layers are missing. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. yeah. So that was pretty cool. 
yeah, that, that answers yeah so oh, then yeah. i mentioned you know walrus or the other ones we usually get a handful of those every year from alaska and now we're going to start getting some from canada as well and you know with the, the whole climate change study and everything i think the marine mammals are just going to become kind of uh, more of a focus for for managers and to, to have that age structure is going to be important for them to make sure that they're managing the population the best that they can yeah definitely uh, that's that is so so interesting and i think really cool that you guys are able to apply those across different species but also shows the level of detail you go to to work with other agencies and 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 uh, try and make sure you're finding that most accurate age of things that's that's really cool well as uh we wrap this one up i got a few questions that i think probably uh most people uh want to know and then we'll i'll kind of ask you what's the process for somebody to send things into you guys but uh what what is the average age for whitetails that gets sent to you guys do you guys know that like roughly off off yeah so i i just ran the or actually i had stacy she ran the numbers for last year so for 2022 the hunter submitted teeth the average age with four for whitetails okay so guys that are sending those in probably assume that they've shot a mature animal and most people consider mm-hmm. four to be like you know the lowest number for a mature uh white tail um i've heard some people say nope it's five and a half but a lot of people say four four and a half okay so that's good that you know they're not telling too big of a fish story there um what about uh elk any idea so the average age same thing you have seven. Oh, seven for elk wow Mm-hmm. So that's wow. And again, these are I, I guess I didn't from, even really I didn't even really understand, you know, what is considered a mature elk. Is that is that about it? Is that kind of like the the I would say that's probably on the the younger end. I think most people really? would start to say 8. I don't know as Carolyn wow. might have differing opinion. Yeah, I think it's pretty subjective again. Like Sure. Are you saying mature is when they've reached full adult status because you know, is it when they start breeding? Is it when they've finished growing? Of course, the right. antlers will continue growing and changing each year. So, uh, you know, we've seen a world record bull that was only six, but that's wow. looking just at antler size. Yeah. Um, you know, was did he had he reached full maturity? That's a somewhat subjective question. Like we could probably have an entire additional podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's a guy that uh, I'm, there's a hunting forum, um, and he posted a, a screenshot. And there's a guy that's I think he's an outfitter. I forget where he sends us his teeth, but he claims that once an elk reaches six, their antlers don't get any bigger. And I think he had like a hundred bulls that he based that on. But again, I mean, I, th- I think it's subjective, and I think it's going to vary from population mm-hmm. to population. But yeah, definitely. And I mean, even like a hundred bulls, that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of animals, but compared to the animals on, you know, in just Montana alone, we'll say that's nothing. And compared to like all of North America, all the elk there, I mean, I mean, it might be enough to show a trend, but definitely not a full picture right. of, of what's going on. So yeah, that's, that's really, uh, that's really interesting. Um, what is the oldest white tail do you guys have any idea what the oldest white tail is that you've ever aged maybe just personally i don't i don't you know matt's has been around for a long time so you might not know offhand what's the oldest matson's has ever 
aged, but do you guys have any stories about one that was really old that you personally aged? I know I'm pulling up our website right now because we have, we have the oldest ages on our website and I oh, don't really? know offhand, but I'm, I'm about to get that to you. So I do have an interesting story to tell in the meantime. There's a sure. guy, uh, I forget what TV show it is, but he, he says it's the oldest white tail that's ever been harvested and filmed. And so I think we're doing a social podcast about that here shortly, but it was a 14 year old buck. And it was, it was pretty cool. So, and that was the other thing is, is, you know, generally speaking for all antlered animals, they're going to have a lot shorter lifespans than their female counterparts. Yeah. Um, But yeah, Carolyn just looked it up. So the oldest white tail that we've aged through the lab was 22 years old and that was harvested in Louisiana. Wow. Was that a buck or a doe? We believe it was a doe, but some, uh, a lot of times they don't get the sex sure. submitted. So for biologists, sometimes they'll submit the, the genders or the sex, but a lot of times they just are submitting the IDs. So I presume that's a doe, but I can't say for sure. Sure. For certain. That is insane. 22 years old. Now, there's some like really old grizzlies out there, aren't there? Do you guys ever get like a really old grizzly? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we get grizzlies. I would say pretty common in their teens and then not uncommon in their twenties. And then we do get them into their thirties. And then, uh, in 2017, there was a biologist up in Alaska that had reached out to us and he wanted us to pull a slide that we had aged, I believe in like 2005 or 2008. And at that time we had aged the bear in its twenties. And so we pulled the slide and confirmed the age. And then he let us know that that exact bear had been spotted with a cub and that put that as a 40 year old female and that's pretty <laughs> pretty crazy um we, so, so for right now our oldest brown bear that we have officially is 39 and we didn't update the record to 40 because that particular bear even though she was 40 years old and had a cub um that was just based on an observation and then you know she was aged however many years before i think it was like 15 or ish years before as whatever and so that put her at 40 that but we since we didn't actually process a tooth from the 40 year old bear we didn't update the oldest age but i know it's existed wow that is so that is so cool to know there's ancient animals like i'm 33 so i'd be a really ancient old grizzly bear if i was a grizzly bear but um i'm, I'm glad yeah. i'm not <laughs> and then this is kind of a more recent one um our oldest standing black bear has been 35 years old and that's been that was harvested in idaho and then mm. within this last spring we aged a pretty good sample from montana and there is another 35 year old black bear so now montana and idaho are tied for the oldest black bear at 35 and the thing that was cool about that was it was the sow uh, and she had a ton of reproductive indicators, so she had littered, I forget how many litters, but at least half a dozen or more. Wow. Wow, that is that is so interesting to, to hear stories like that and to know that there's critters like that walking around in, in the woods and, you know, living and dying and almost, you know, making it to what we consider a human to be like. I don't, I don't want to say old because I'm almost there, but, um, mm-hmm. you know. Like when you, when you see somebody make it to their 40th birthday, that's, that's definitely a milestone birthday. And there's, there's critters out there that are doing that. So that's, that's really, really interesting. What about, I'm going to ask you one more. What about your absolute oldest elk that you guys have aged? 
32 and that was harvested in Pennsylvania. Really? And that, that was a cow because Jeremy just confirmed that the biologist that Carolyn was mentioning earlier that we just had a zoom meeting with. Um, and so, you know, Pennsylvania has a reintroduced yeah. population, but yeah, that was, that's pretty cool. That's, that's really old for an elk. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, one other thing that just popped into my head, speaking of out East, they've, they have been, their moose populations have just been getting hammered by, uh, uh, really ticks and not like tick borne illness, but, um, literally just getting sucked dry mm-hmm. by ticks. Are, are those game agencies sending you guys quite a few, uh, moose specimens for, for aging? Yes, we do get a number of, of moose from the Northeast. Mm. Uh, I don't know if they're, you know, specific in response to the tick problem. But one thing that's interesting, you know, since since you mentioned it, mm-hmm. is that these are states that have historically always sent us their moose harvest. So if the ticks are having an impact on the population, those biologists are going to be able to look back through the age data and sort of pinpoint when that happened. So mm-hmm. that's another really useful kind of tool that, that, you know, ticks might not be selecting animals based on age, but they might be. And uh, hmm. if they're having an impact on the population, here's a way that you'll be able to pin Man, this conversation is so much bigger. I mean, I thought it was going to be a really cool conversation, but this is so much bigger than I realized it would be. Uh, you guys are doing critically important work there. Uh, that 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 is, man, that's awesome. So you guys are getting animals from all over the place. You're getting all sorts of important data. If somebody does want to send you something, um, I got to imagine there's a good way to do that and an annoying way to do that. <laughs> But I imagine you guys yeah. can you guys can still uh uh pull data from from stuff. What what is uh let's start out with like the do not do this please. Like what is what are the annoying things that people commonly do when they send in teeth for aging? Yeah, so there's definitely probably like a scale or a level of annoyance. Um the, the number <laughs> one thing is we we prefer to just be teeth and not jaws. Okay. Or severed heads. Or severed, yeah. So the, it just go, it, it snowballs up from there. You know, you send in a whole head and it's in a plastic <laughs> bag and it's rotting. That's about as worse as uh, it can get. As it can get. And we So yeah. uh, that would be my number one request is that you just extract the teeth. And then the number two request would be to put them in a paper envelope, not in a Ziploc bag. And okay. just, it'll dry out at room temperature. Um, you don't have to freeze it. You don't have to do anything. There's just going to be a little bit of tissue on that tooth. And it takes literally probably one to two minutes to extract a tooth with just a knife, as long as you're doing it from a fresh animal. So, you know, if you pull the jaw off and you set it in your backyard for a month and then you go back out there, all that tissue is going to be turned to leather. And then it's going to be really hard to uh, extract those incisors. But if you do it in the field or even, you know, right after you get it back, um, mm. it's really quick. You just slice down on each side of the incisor and then you can flip your knife over, assuming you're using a thick spine knife. And then you actually just use the spine of the knife and it'll pry forward. And then you can just pull it out with your, with your fingers. And then the other thing, some people don't realize that we're actually aging the root tips. Okay. So the crowns don't really matter. Um, so sure. if you if it chips or whatever, that's not a big deal. But what 
can happen, especially in the winter months and colder climates. If you harvest an animal, um, even though it's still fresh, you know, you could set it in your garage or in your pickup and then the next day go to extract it. If it's frozen and you go to do that same process, almost certainly the root tip's going to break off in the jaw. And then at that point, you're pretty much SOL. Um, you can let it fall out and try to extract the other incisors and that would be the way to go. But, but yeah, so that would be my request is to, to just send us teeth and envelopes and not whole jaws, mm. whole jaws with tissue on them, or as Carol mentioned, whole heads, that's really not preferred. And then number <laughs> yeah. two is when you get the teeth extracted, don't put them in plastic bags, just put them in, um, paper coin envelopes. You can get them really cheap at Walmart or wherever we can send them to you if you really want us to, but usually by the time we ship them to you, it's kind of. Yeah, it's quicker for you to just run and, and get them. We have printable envelopes you can print off of our website too, and then you just fold them up because um, it's just paper. Mm-hmm. So, does that okay. make sense? Yeah, no, that's super. That's super. Hand- why? Why the paper instead of the plastic? So, if you put a tooth that's freshly extracted in plastic, there's the residual tissue that's got mm. moisture in it, and it will begin to decompose and rot. I see. Um, and then it smells. And so when we get our teeth here, we, we have tons of teeth and, you know, we have stuff waiting to go into process and we don't have, and we don't ever want to get a huge freezer to put stuff in. So it's just sitting on the shelf. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the great thing about teeth is once they're dried out, they can pretty much stay at room temperature indefinitely. And they're for decades. Yeah. And we've done some that were decades old. And Mm. So we've gotten specimens, what she's speaking to, we've gotten like specimens from museums, you know, they had a collection of skulls or whatever that were cleaned sure. back in the 30s or 40s. And then they wanted to know the age of those animals. So they sent us the teeth. Um, but if you put it in a plastic bag, it'll start decomposing and rotting. And if it's in there long enough, it can damage the cementum. But usually it doesn't. Usually it's just an annoyance and it causes the lab to smell and we have to deal with it. And why make our lives harder? <laughs> yeah, right, right. No, that makes sense. It's good to know. I have like three jaws that I'm intending to. I've been intending to send to you guys um, from uh, cool. three three uh, recent bucks that I shot. Um, now, because those have been, you know, over the course of three years, they're dried out and everything. One might be in the freezer, still in the jaw matrix. Um, would it work for me to just like? You know, because obviously the jaw is the only reason I have it is because I want to extract the teeth to send them in. Would it work well for me to just like smack those things with a sledge and, uh, you know, just, you know, pop the teeth out that way so that I don't, you know, accidentally r- no. rip off part of the the roots or would that be a bad idea to do that? That that would be a very bad idea because what you're <laughs> okay. doing is just busting, busting off the crowns and the root tips are going to be in there and you're going to be SOL. Um, once the the jaws i assume that at least the two of them because you said one might be in the freezer if they're dried out like that you really got to soak them in in warm water for quite some time to get the tissue to soften up and then loosen and then extract them and we can extract teeth like you can send in the jaw um it costs you more to ship them and then it's going to cost you more to get get the teeth aged uh, because we'll charge you to extract them and especially with those ones it takes quite a bit of time because we have to put it in and in a container with warm water and heat it up and then come back and extract the tooth. Um, so that's, you know, it, it does make sense to save teeth, especially if you're only harvesting one or two deer mm-hmm. um, for a couple of years and then send a batch in. But still, you could pull those teeth as soon as you harvest it or the day or two after you harvest it and then put them in an envelope and store them indefinitely would be 
my suggestion going forward but yeah. um, with those ones that you have you know we can we can work with you and we can extract them if, if you want us to or if you put them in some warm water uh, for a few hours they, sh- they should soften up enough to where you yeah. can cut down on that gum tissue and then kind of pry them out but just be very gentle you don't want to force it out but yeah sledgehammer would basically guarantee <laughs> that's an uh, absolute the only, no <laughs> the only, there's an old timer out here that showed me that's how he gets his ivories out and it actually works really good but that's for elk um ivories or upper canines yeah and the, the roots on those are quite different but that actually was with a piece of wood and the hammer not actually a sledgehammer sure and again that was with a very fresh kill if it was frozen or dried in there i think it would still break okay that's that's good to know it would it would stick to that leathery uh uh, those ligaments that hold those roots in. Okay, that's. I'm glad I asked because I I was sitting here thinking like, hey, I think I know how to get these teeth out of here. But uh, <laughs> it's a good thing I asked. I will. Could I boil them? <laughs> would that Would that be okay? Boiling it. Or so that's that... another good question. Usually you'll be okay, but we recommend not boiling because, in fact, everybody's going to do it differently. And if you boil it long enough, it's going to damage the cementum. Okay. So our recommendation is no hotter than 80 degrees Celsius. Mm. I don't, I don't can't do the math in my head, but, um, so just under boiling. So very warm water. Sure. Yeah. And then just, you know, probably an hour or two and then check it. And if it's soft enough to extract, you can extract it. And if it's not, don't force it, put it back and wait. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's uh that's good to know. I'm glad I asked all these questions. Okay, pricing real quick. What what's uh the general cost? I imagine it varies per species and and but let's say somebody goes through like the perfect process. They put it in the little paper thing and and the, they get them extracted nicely and everything else. So, we charge $75 for one to four samples. So that's what okay. I was kind of saying. It, it paid, you know, if you're only shooting one or two deer, if money's not an option, you want another age right away, then send them in every year by all means. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you get, th- you know, three or four samples, it's more cost effective to send those in. And then if you have more than four, then it's $15 for each additional sample. So $75 for four and then 15 for each additional. And then if you get over 30, then the pricing um, goes down a little bit even more. Okay. Uh, but typically, private hunters unless they have a large ranch or a lot of friends like a hunting club which those seem to be kind of dwindling across the east and midwest as the mm-hmm. leasing trends have picked up but um yeah then usually most of them are sending less than 30 feet yeah good to know so if you're listening to this make sure if you're uh, wanting to send in some teeth find out the age of your animal that you killed i think it's great information for hunters just to know helps you know uh if the little standard you use to uh, age them from the hoof or you know on the paw or whatever you want to say uh, if it's accurate or not if you're uh too optimistic or maybe you're spot on uh great data for you to have especially if you're wanting to manage on like a piece of private ground or something like that or just wanting to uh I don't know, maybe up the ante a little bit with uh, uh, what you're hunting each season. Definitely a good thing to do. And uh, you can follow Matson's on Instagram. I do. I will post their their Instagram handle in the show notes here. I'll also put a, provide a link to their website. Uh, you should definitely uh, check out. I will be sending some uh, teeth their way here soon once I get my uh, most recent jaw back from the taxidermist. And... Uh, um, I look forward to finding out that information for myself. 
Please remember this podcast is presented by Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is an excellent mapping service for all whitetail hunters. Um, I've been driving around here a lot lately for work, and when I see a place that just looks real interesting, maybe it'll maybe it'll show up for sale someday, or maybe uh, they would be open to let me go out there and look for sheds or even hunt. I just drop a little pin and. Uh, uh, then I can go back and look at it a little closer and contact somebody. And then during deer season, I like to use their deer behavior prediction app. They gather all sorts of research data on deer. Um, be interesting. There's, there's a story that Bill Thompson, the owner of Spartan Forge, uh, told me about some really ancient deer that um, they have radio collar data from that they've used for the Spartan Forge app. I would It'd be interesting to find out if those deer had their teeth sent to Matt's. I bet they did. Um, but... Uh, you can download Spartan Forge from their website for free or your, uh, well, I guess their website will take you to the app store. So, you know, Apple apps or uh, then Google Play, I think, for Android. And you can download the app for free. But then if you want to get some of those additional uh, features that are provided on that app, you can subscribe to those as needed. And then also good old Alex Gruen from East to West Hunts is a longtime sponsor of this podcast as well. If you have a hunting dream that you want to make come true, you're going to have to have the right tags. You're going to have to have all the travel arrangements. You're going to have to be in the right physical condition. You're going to have to have all the gear, all that stuff. Alex will help you with it. Go over to eastwesthunts.com. He'll not only plan your hunt, but it'll help you with every one of those aspects of having a successful hunt. He'll even send you waypoints on where uh, you can uh, glass or where you can expect to see um, game or where you can fill up your uh, water bottle. Whatever you need to do to have a successful hunt, it's best if you have Alex there in your back pocket showing you how to get it done. So again, go over to East West Hunts, use the promo code FIRSTGEN10. You'll save yourself 10% off of that. And, uh, you know, the little joke that I'll use here, you can put that 10% towards sending in some teeth to Matson's and, uh, find out the age of the game that you have harvested yourself. Well, thank you so much, Carolyn and AJ for coming on the podcast and educating me. <laughs> I could have nerded out on this forever. I, in fact, this was going to be a pick and bones episode. This is going to be a full length episode. This is just too cool of a conversation. Um, there's so many more questions I want to answer. I don't think I told you guys, I used to be a biology teacher. Uh, so this oh, is, cool. this is, uh, especially interesting to me, um, to, to, uh, ask you guys about all this stuff. And clearly you guys are experts. You do everything, uh, in a very professional manner. And, uh, I can't wait to send some teeth to you guys, but thanks for coming on the podcast and, uh, sorry for some of the technical glitches today was especially glitchy. It's not normally this bad. I don't know why it's clear. It's a clear, uh, sunny day, but maybe I'll just blame the Canadian wildfire since that they're kind of what's for blame right now. But, uh, sure. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ken. It's really been a pleasure visiting with you. Uh, we enjoy it, and we always like to share what we do with people that maybe never, never even heard of this silly, this silly little service we provide. So, thank. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I man, I was just blown away by everything you guys do and how useful it is for far beyond just hunter knowledge. I mean, just really, really a big, big part of the conservation picture. So, I think that's awesome. Well, until next time, everyone, uh, 
Get on to uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review if you haven't. Reach out to me with any of your cheers or jeers. Love hearing from you. And until next time, take care and take someone hunting.